Welcome to the Press Play and Run podcast, the podcast that loves runners nearly as much as Philip Schofield. <laughs> Alison, I've not introduced you yet. On episode 14, I'm joined by regular guest and soon to become co-host for the day, Alison Jardin. Some of you will know from episode one and probably another two or three episodes that she's been on. And we're having an Edinburgh Marathon post-mortem. We're going to talk through the week leading up. We are going to take some questions that people have left on our social handles. And Alison is going to take a gleeful opportunity to put me in the interviewee chair for a change. So I am not steering this episode. I'm delighted to say that I'm handing over the reins to Alison. First, before we get to that, Alison, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, looking forward to this. You've had me in the hot seat twice, so it's definitely my turn now. Is it not three? Not a oh, three oh, yeah, times? yeah, actually, if we count the other quick, yeah. the, the quick one that turned into about half an hour. <laughs> Alison's agent is demanding royalties from the show, so she's welcome to the 0% of the zero that we earn. So that's that's wonderful. You're not missing out very much. Before I let you take control of this episode and, and hold my feet to the fire with these questions, I want to just quickly ask you your first experience, certainly in a long time, but I know maybe ever, of looking at a marathon through the other lens. You were there supporting for the day. You met so many people. Give me the, the Cliff Notes version. How was it for you? amazing i did not know that you could get like a supporters high from watching runners like and it felt as good as a runner's high obviously we're lucky enough to see you and so many other people from instagram friends uh and you know it was just it was such a laugh as well the signs that we made i know they've been mentioned quite a few times uh that kind of just made it even better we got a lot of laughs off of all the runners at the at the first point People did not find those things that funny after 22 miles, as you know. But no, I, I, I it was just totally different. And I'll be back to watch again. I loved it. Re- reading a sign saying, basically, don't shit yourself at 14 miles is hilarious. Reading it at 22 it makes you want to go and attack the person. <laughs> did you get a bit of a sense of maybe what the likes of Sandy, your, your husband, and maybe other people that have supported you in the past go through in order to make it happen? Because it was quite a logistical task. I know my wife was with you and you were babysitting her as well. So that was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I hadn't really understood how it would be. When you're running, you just start when the gun goes and you run and run and run. And the biggest thing in your head is you need to remember where they're standing so you'll see them. But trying to be like, oh, right, hold on, right, where are you on the map? Where's the dot moving? How long have we got? Right, what did you want here? Was it water, juice, sweets? And then it was just, it was quite interesting. We were fortunate in the fact that when we were watching, we'd chosen a point that we just had to move across the grass. So that was quite easy. But I know, for example, at London, it's more logistically difficult because you're getting on and off undergrounds. I think the part we found the hardest and I was a bit disappointed was it took us so long to get to you at the end. And I know that's just because we obviously chose to stand in Port Seaton, had to get in a car. There were unfortunately, there was an accident, which then meant that we, I think it took us about an hour and a half to get you, by which point you were obviously lying on the grass. Dead. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was, it was interesting and it did. And I thought we'll probably talk about it more when we start speaking about you, but it's kind of knowing what you're going through as well. Like I knew at the point of 14, people were still like, "Woo, this is great. And I knew at 22 when I saw people's faces, I was like, yeah, I know. I know what you're feeling right yeah. now. <laughs> living your best life at 14 and living somebody else's worst life at, at 
at 22. Yeah. Um, I know for, for sure, I think it was, I, you were buzzing off the back of that experience. And actually, everybody I know that was supporting, and I need to give a shout out there to all the support on the course and the Newton Roadrunners and there's such a big crowd, the Loch Ness 24 crew, yourselves, like so many faces along the way, but everybody was buzzing off the, the spectating and I've had that before, I have done that that part, so it was great, the support on the course was fantastic. So I had thought for a few days really, I've been stewing on what to do with this episode of the podcast because it was always going to be this episode and then one more to finish the series. But the thought of sitting talking into the mic for 50 minutes on my own, reflecting on it, it didn't fill me with much in the way of inspiration. Um, I thought about getting other people on, but too many, I wouldn't have been able to dig into their story. And I think that's what I enjoy the most. So I didn't want to make that superficial, but I've definitely met people via that marathon who I want to have on in season two, for sure. We some, had some great chats with people. But that this is what we settled on, mostly because you partly made me, but also it was in my head anyway to, to get somebody on to speak to me about my experience, if that's what people want. And I think the response that we've had on the socials means it's probably the right thing to do because so many questions came in. So see, at this point, Alison, I'm just going to hand the reins over to you and let you steer the same kind of chat we would normally have, but I'm going to try and sh shut my geggy for what of a better Scottish term and, and actually let you lead me through this. I'll see if I can let my OCD stop me taking control. Well, being the uh, the good interviewer you are, um, you have already stolen the first question, <laughs> which was when we first spoke about this, I think it was on that long run we did between Tokyo and London, and I suggested this, you were your instant reaction was, no, nobody cares about my journey. And my answer was, of course they do, because we've listened to everyone else's. What actually then did make you change your mind? Was it on the day when so many people were coming up and encouraging you or after? Yeah, no, I don't I don't think it was on the day. I, I, I don't think people don't care about my journey. I know how many supportive people I have and I, the support I had in the run up to the marathon. I think since we spoke, obviously the podcast has grown exponentially. Probably my social handles and following on there has grown exponentially too. So we're at a different time and place probably with the interest in my own running. But I've also quite carefully, I hope, crafted a podcast where I'm not, my running's not the centre of the attention. I've tried to keep it that way because I'm more interested in hearing the story of other people. But I think what swung it for me was the number of messages I had from either first-time marathoners or people now on the cusp of, and really the only person that can give that perspective that they're looking for is a first-time marathoner. And rather than me trying to tease that out of somebody I maybe don't potentially know that well, I've got the answers that, that, that mean something to me. And I've spoke to you about your experience. I've got a lot from it. I just thought we'd flip it and see how it works. I will not be making a habit of it. Brilliant. Well, no, I'm, we're glad you're here, obviously, because I know that there are so many people. And like you say, there's been a lot of people actually asked about because it was your first time. Um, and I know they're really interested in that as well. So if you first want to take us back, I know you've spoken, you, you would always do a little bit on your own podcast. But I think when a lot of us would have last heard you was when you were the guest on the Point 99 podcast. And I think that went out the week before. So yeah. if you start off with, with like an overview of that final week, few days leading up to the big day. Yeah. They, so we recorded that, I think, maybe about nine days out and it aired just a few days before the marathon. I, I think I'd said on that podcast, and I know some of our listeners listened to that and some 
some don't. I, I had been in a very good headspace leading into taper. Uh, but come taper time, I was completely satisfied with the work that I'd done. I, I had uh, 94, 95 runs in my training block without missing a session. So so I was, I was very comfortable and confident that the work that I could do, I'd done what I could control, I'd controlled. But I had a really busy week in the lead up. A really busy weekend. I had, I think I'd mentioned that the, like the Celtic game with the, the trophy. I had my brother's 40th mm-hmm. as well that weekend and I had family here. So I didn't have time probably in the way that a lot of people do to just sit and stew. I didn't have much time to think about running. I was actually grateful for the taper because I wasn't trying to squeeze in lots of running in and around it. What I would say is on the down times, it wasn't doubt creeping in. It was some of that, the uncontrollables, the weather, the logistics, that was starting to great on my nerves a wee bit. I had an issue with my accommodation that I got fixed. But I went in to to the day. See, when I arrived in Edinburgh, I, I went with my friend Michael, who ran the half marathon, his first ever race, and he, he did amazingly well. As soon as we checked into that hotel, the stress of all that dropped because I knew how close we were to start. I was ready to go. I was relaxed. It was a long day leading up to it, but I, I was in as good a headspace as I could be. So I didn't get the maranoia. I'd love to tell everybody I did, but I didn't. It wasn't a feature of it wasn't a feature of of my run up. I didn't feel like that. Yeah, no, and it is interesting because um, we obviously met up a park run. I think there was a few of us. Some were running, some were supporting because they had Edinburgh the next day. And I do remember I was like, wow, you are as cool as a cucumber. I don't think I have seen anybody as relaxed the day before a marathon as you were. So it's good to know that it continued once you arrived because I do know that I think the biggest issue, like you said, for you was the accommodation. And I think Edinburgh, for me, when I've looked at it, it's not the easiest to get to, which is a bit ridiculous as it's the, like, the capital, but at least you managed to get that fixed because it is those little things that can end up causing more of a stress in the actual run. And you don't want that when you've looked forward to something for so long, do you? So so even on the, the day of going through, Alison, it took me the best part of over, it was over two hours on the train to get there, which is meant to be like an hour and 16 minute journey. But the Harry Styles gig was on. So it was. So the train stopped every station for ages, people piling on. I'm not sure what was going on down the carriage, but it was certainly a, there was a party atmosphere on the train. <laughs> um, so it, it took ages, and I had arranged to meet with some of the Loch Ness 24 crew that I'll be running with in that relay marathon for dinner. And that was at seven o'clock. We weren't even checked into the hotel by then. So I ended up having to change those plans a wee bit. Oh. And so there was a there was a stress in and around that bit but as i said see when i got checked in and i made my peace with the fact we're just going to eat here at the hotel and the hotel staff were really really nice and that bled away as well it was just a couple of hours i could have been doing without i'm really glad i went through the night before though because that morning off journey if that had have happened on the morning yeah, that can change everything. I, I wouldn't have been in as good a place. I was able to concentrate and hydrate in the night before. I ate very well in the morning. Everything that had to happen, bodily functions mm-hmm. happened. And, but I had the time and the privacy of your own room to do all of that. Mm-hmm. So that leads us on nicely then to the morning of. So you've made it to Edinburgh in a hotel room um, with, you've had your dinner, not quite as planned. But you know what, that's actually a good point because... I can't think of a time that everything goes to plan for a marathon. So like you say, you know, it happens, you get over it and you just make the best of the situation. So you're now standing outside the hotel or you're packing your stuff ready to go. So take us through the whole day and how it went, feelings. Yeah, really early start 
because Michael, who I can't call Michael anymore because his name's Sonic to me, so I'm just going to call him Sonic. He was, he was, he had a very early start. That was an 8am start for that race. He's not, he doesn't eat in the morning particularly, but I was trying to encourage him eat something that's it's hot. It was already hot by that point in the morning, not as hot as it got later, but it was already a warm start to the morning. So I was up from around, I think around six-ish, pottled about. I didn't eat until seven. I was just trying to keep that as consistent with my long run routine as I could. And I ate the same things that I would have eaten on every long run. So all the advice about don't do anything new and stuck with that. So it was porridge, it was bagel, peanut butter. It was that. It was those types of sort of high energy food, banana, closer to the time, drink, drink, drink as much as I, as I could at that point. So that was the, that was that part of the morning. That's a bit where I think the nerves can creep in a wee bit because you're eating and then waiting. Yeah. I and I wouldn't be in the house feeling like I was normally waiting because I'd be doing whatever I need to do uh-huh. with the kids. But I was sitting in a hotel room just staring at the wall going, what now? And did you change? I know you said that you just did everything that you would normally do before every long run, but did you adapt anything because of you knew that it was going to be hot on the day? I'd already started really up in the water. I had started up up in the hydration anyway, so I was taking a hydration tablet and um, like a sport and science SIS tablet every day from about the Tuesday or Wednesday anyway, um, along with upping my fluids through the week as I saw the temperature coming up again, I took in as much as I could, but there is a limit to it. Like yeah. I was starting to feel heavy and I didn't want to be standing in the line fe- feeling heavy and sluggish. So I was trying to just get that blend right. But I took water with me on my walk to, I was about a 10, 15 minute walk to bag drop. And I, I took some water with me there as well. And I kept sipping away almost up until the start line and I bumped in and I don't know if we're at that bit yet, but as I left the hotel, I walked up, I saw loads of other runners. I was chatting with a couple of people on the way up. Again, I, I could tell you I was nervous. I was I was really relaxed. I was as in good spirits. I knew I was going to be bumping into Bob Burrow, who we'd had on the show, Jace, the Edinburgh runner as well. A couple of people I'd been in touch with. So I had a purpose. I was going somewhere. And and that was that was a plan. And I walked up and met them. I always think that's quite nice, actually, because I think that was one of the reasons that I really struggled at London this year, because I didn't have that. But I've been very fortunate in the last few marathons I've done that I've had that as well, where you're either going with someone or you know you're going to meet someone or you just bump into people. And it does. It just then you almost forget for a second what you're there for because you're just so busy catching up and talking about running. Yes, yeah, I met uh, Steve from the Point Ninety Nine podcast as well. Mister Steve oh, runs. That wasn't as planned. He just sort of walked down, and I recognised him. Although he's about four foot two taller than I thought he was, <laughs> um, but I was looking. I keep raving to you about that Steve Magnus account on Instagram yeah. um, and the leadership and the like, how your mind works stuff. And there was a post just yesterday about the impact that laughing and joking has on performance in terms of setting you up for high performance. See that, that lets me stay in the mode that I'm most comfortable, mm-hmm. meeting people, chatting, winding each other up, like, not standing strewn, because I've done all that in the past. So yeah. th- I think that's why it was other people that helped keep me as relaxed as I did. I do think that's quite an important thing for maybe people listening to take away because, well, we've now both said it, but I honestly firmly believe that it does. It really helps relax you because you don't, you're not standing there on your own. And I know you touched on it. I think it was at the Monklands Half Marathon, how a few people you'd seen were doing that. And you're like, come on, just be part of the group. It's more fun to to stand and have a laugh rather than 
be the poor loser, whatever it is. <laughs> you panic it, at the last minute. It was me six months ago. It was me a year ago. It was me two years ago. It'd get your race number at eight and sit in the car, winding yourself up till half yeah. nine until the start. Like what? Nothing good's coming from it. It's just all internalized thoughts. Mm-hmm. And and it is overthinking nerves, and and you you're not at your best when you're uptight and anxious. So, no. and and so we're almost at the start line. But was there any last minute? dashes to the toilet or anything like that or are we okay toilet cubicles were as you can imagine Mm -hmm. oh yeah it was was like a un food drop that queue so (laughs) i was i was feeling okay i did feel like i needed the toilet just to pee and like but i was thinking that queue i wasn't even confident that queue would be down in time for me Mm -hmm. to go but then somebody had said i think you call it tevia or tv at house which was just around the corner and i think last minute number replacement pickup was there they had downstairs bathrooms there and there was literally no queue for the guys okay. um and a very short queue for the girls so seeing that word started to filter around i've just nipped over there it was like two or three minutes away went to the bathroom was able to i met the newton some of the newton marathon runners on my clubmates by accident mm-hmm. on the way there um, got a picture with them and stuff like that and it pointed them the same so again that stress came away bag drop was seamless it, it was the start was very well organized um, and then I went to the start area nice and early and that bit got a wee bit stressful that got pretty packed pretty quickly for the size of space that was there for the pen and looking around me I don't think there was much happening in terms of people staying in the right pen it was predominantly my color but there was people from all over okay. the place and in hindsight I wish I'd got myself probably up into the red pen it was just because the predicted time I put in and that's the thing as well I mean I, I didn't know that about Edinburgh I know for example uh, some of the other ones are so strict there's absolutely no way you're changing unless you're moving back the way but that's that's interesting to know as well because well and I'm sure you're going to cover this but when you get started it soon becomes obvious who should and shouldn't be in in that yeah. pen so gun goes yeah what, What's the first thought that goes into your head time to do this? Gun gun goes, they start walking you forward to the start. So you're seeing just up ahead people going, but it must have taken another six or seven minutes to walk to the start from the start of the pen. It was almost like many waves within the wave setting off. Um, Maybe not, maybe just felt like six or seven minutes. It felt like ages because it was like your watches, you know, you, you're get your, you've got your watch ready to go, you've got GPS and you don't want to get into standby mode. So like all that, but that felt <laughs> like it lasted an eternity. Then you start out in that course, brilliant support in the start line, super loud, really, really loud. I forgot to look up because Gina that I had in the podcast was, at, I think was at the starting bit on oh. the race plinth and I was too bloody locked in to even look up. It was her video later I'd recognised where she was. But we started and it was very congested. The first two miles, probably nearly three. Okay. And it wasn't, you're saying it's easy to know who should be there. And it was actually hard to know who should be where because it was so congested that I don't know who was holding who up or if it was just felt like a bit too many at points. So the road narrows and widens quite a lot over that first 2k. And once I once I pushed through and I passed Bob and he shouted at me, he shouted, here's the elites coming. <laughs> Actually, once I passed him, he would probably have a better recollection of when that was, maybe about a K and a half in, and he'd started slightly up ahead of me. Then it opened out a wee bit mm-hmm. and, and I felt okay, I got moving, but I spent a fair bit of time up in the grass and the pavement for yeah. the first for the first two or three K. 
I can't remember if I ever mentioned to you, I've said to a few people uh, about marathons, because I think that unless you're going to run a really remote one, you're going to have that. It's always the first two, three miles until you get your space. But I always do try and pick a side, never go in the middle. So you can do the whole jump on the pavement, up on the grass, just to get a bit of space and move forward. Yeah, um, so, yeah. It, there was a lot of road furniture, so that you couldn't actually. It's, there was like an island down the middle at some parts, and there was poles and there was barriers, and so you were sort of just steered along. It was a wee bit like a lemming at times, and sometimes I just had to sit in behind and take my medicine, go at the pace. But actually, looking at my splits, I was relatively bang on with where you I were. wanted to be. And I don't know what your thoughts on this are, but sometimes as frustrating as it can be, because I know at the start of any race, it doesn't have to be a marathon. You're like, come on, right, let's go, let's go. I actually, I get annoyed, but then I think it's good because it stops you doing that because you're not able to like rush, like as yeah. you maybe would depart on the first mile. So maybe, although it's frustrating, there's a bit of a blessing there. Yeah, well, it, stop, it does stop you flying out. I mean, it does mm -hmm. limit the pace you can run at. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, I think unless you're quite calm about it, it could spike your heart rate trying to, it's regulating, like it's fine to be going at that pace, but if you're getting stressed, uh -huh. like it took me a 3k to settle in, even though my pace was already where it had to be, I didn't feel settled until I had a bit of open road. So I obviously have never ran Edinburgh. I've seen pictures, I saw some videos and it did, it looked amazing at the start. So I understand obviously you start in the city, but then where, so you say you got your kind of space at about three, four miles, where does it go after that you start going out towards Musselburgh, is that right? You're asking the wrong person. My geographical sense is horrific. <laughs> it takes you in quite city centre to start with and it turns you... It, it, it turns you down out towards Musselburgh, but on your right, you've got that big, the big raised, remember we drove in and we saw like, yes. it looks like a cliff face, basically. That was an out and back section, quite narrow. See, as soon as we pass through there, then it puts you onto, you go through a roundabout and it put you onto the coastline. So that would be heading in towards that Musselburgh type, right down the coast. That's where it really opened out. And that's yeah. where I felt like my race probably started. Started, uh-huh. So you're kind of in your, like, into that now, your normal pace. You can breathe, the nerves have gone, well, there weren't nerves, but you just, the heart rate's normal. You're just finding your flow. So that would be, what, about ten, almost 10K, just before 10K? Um, yeah, about maybe maybe about 6, 7K. I felt like I was really settled into my rhythm at that point, and I was consistently hitting just, one or two seconds above or below my pace each time. And I wasn't overly clock watching either. I just got into the rhythm pretty early. So that was good. And that's I sustained that through practically through the first half of the race. A couple of wee bits where I sped up. I think what I did, something I learned was when the crowds are big and they're loud, your internal clock speeds up. And, you know, I was seeing 10 seconds coming off a key and going, oh, right, okay, calm down. And again. And then on a really quiet bit, you can slip those 10 seconds back without realising that you've slowed down. It's good to have a wee bit either way, isn't it? Yeah. Just, and out of interest, how did you split the marathon down? So, you know, I know, like, some people will do five-mile blocks, some will do 10K chunks. How did you decide to break it down in your head? Four 10Ks and an extra wee bit. That was what was in my head. So I had written down my splits just i was conscious of not being overly reliant on gps in case it didn't work in the day so i knew where i had to be at 10k 20k 30k 40k and then obviously the end 
if I wanted to hit that that time I was setting out at, which for full transparency, I'd set out three sixteen, three hour sixteen minute finish. So that so I'd set out at a pace of um I can't remember what it was exactly now. Let's say it was I think four twenty nine or whatever. Um, and I'll look that up and put what is in miles for, for the uh, seven one. seven twenty-nine, I'm pretty sure it was. It was, yeah. So I I I had those ten mark gauge points. Hindsight, did it work? I don't know. I struggled with the mile markers a lot. I I had don't think I saw five mile markers that whole race. I really struggled to locate them. That's interesting because I know we joke about this all the time because you work in K and I work in miles. So when we if we talk about going for a run, it takes about half an hour to work out what pace we're going to go. So you're saying that at Edinburgh, then it was K markers. No, it was it no, was mile markers. Mile markers, right? So would you then, if if you were to to go and do another marathon? where you can usually find out what it's going to be on the course of it is going to be care miles would you do you think you would change how you how you do it so that you would do it in miles for example rather than k yeah 100 percent um i found myself particularly this was more more telling at the end when i really get tired and i can't really i won't go into that bit yet but when your mind starts to mangle reality and you're trying to do maths that's not the one when you're when you're later into the race so i think in hindsight i would have set my watch to miles because i was regularly thinking what mile am i in here because i knew where you were standing and where nicola was but i was trying to do the maths of what k is that in yeah, and yeah. what and i already knew this by the way before we started but see when i got tired really tired my head was gone at mm-hmm. times trying to do those maths so i think for sure, even if I trained in K that whole time, I would be changing my watch into miles and actually trusting my pace more. My mm-hmm. watch didn't dictate my pace at any time. The feel did. I knew where I was. Yeah. And actually, your watch can't make you run faster or slower. It just stresses you to, to an extent. Well, exactly. We've spoken about that before as well. So no, I think feel's always the best way when you when you can. So we're at 10K. You're, you know your next marker is going to be 20K. And you're going to come up to, to Nicola and myself, Emily. What, what's in your head at that point? What was in my, my head at that point was I was in, I knew how consistent I was being. Mm-hmm. It was my splits in that portion were the most consistent out of the whole race. So 10 to 20K, I was absolutely cruising with my pace. But the heat started to get up from about 15K. The sun came out. So it's not like it got, it probably didn't get dramatically warm, warmer if you were watching if you're standing at the side, but that direct sunlight hitting you, the warmth of the sun at that point really started to to play a part. So I'm getting to 21K. I got to the halfway point and I remember thinking I was eight seconds up on my pace. Couldn't ask for more than that. But I just knew that it felt like I was working at that point too hard to sustain that pace. Now, that's a weird thing because I was trying to explain that to you probably in a state of tiredness afterwards. It wasn't my legs. It wasn't my lungs. I could only describe it as feeling like the battery was being drained. Like I saw uh, Running With Stephen, mm-hmm. the guy who's got the YouTube account, he described it as basically like you've spent too much time on feet. And that's that's probably not a bad summary of it. It was like, this is going to be unsustainable yeah. over that that time so that's where I was it was a very weird thing because I was like this is going really well the pace but you knew now I don't know if psychologically at that point I started dropping my pace or if my pace started dropping and I noticed mm-hmm. it I, I couldn't tell you the order of it but I, I I just knew 
316 is not in play today. Mm-hmm. As, as and, early as that, I knew that. And I guess then for, so you've always been open and, you know, you've said what you were, what the A goal was and I know there was a B and a C as well. I think it, it does take a very sensible and brave person to to make when you make that decision we've all you know those of us and it's maybe not even just in a marathon but we've all had to make that decision to, to step back what went through your head at the point you did make that decision was it disappointment or what did you feel so for transparency for anybody who's only listening to this episode and hasn't heard previously my a goal was sub 320 which would have been good for age for chicago and I'd said at the time, big ask, everything has to go right for that to happen. That's the top end. The B goal was sub 3.30. And the C goal was to finish in one piece and enjoy it. So if it was all going south, not to DNF, not to hate it to the point where I would never consider another one. At the point I've made that decision, like I'm saying, I couldn't tell you if it was just hindsight or, or not. Did that make the decision? Did the pace make the decision? Did I make the decision about the pace? I don't really, still don't really know how. I was a, a bit, a wee bit gutted probably for one or two K because I still felt really strong at that point and I thought I could just keep pushing. So that was the, the battle maybe for two K at that point was you've made this decision, but you're still fresh enough to hold this pace. And I could have definitely for another 10 K, mm-hmm. but I know it would have happened after that and that was this that so that was the angel and the devil on the shoulder saying you could hold this you're just it's mind games you're talking to yourself and then the other bit of me saying i felt at that point if i didn't stop i either had the eagle in me or risking the seagull yeah not getting the seagull so it was basically in that do i go shit or bust here do i go for the sub 320 or don't finish this or end up in a medical tent or the beagle was there for a reason. So from that point, see when I made my peace with that, Alison, that probably took two, two kilometres, three kilometres when I made my peace with it. Then it was a bit of maths to say, what can I afford to drop to manage this situation? And I still felt good at that point, right up to 30k. I was making very good logical decisions. I was slowing when I had to. I was picking up a bit of time where the course allowed, where the big, where the crowds were. I was letting myself be taken. I was up in my water intake. I was doing all the things that you would hope you would do if you manage a situation well till that okay. And I think that's such an important thing to speak about because we've spoken about this so many times about the disappointment, about having to change goals, about being sensible to finish. And I know, you know, we spoke about it very briefly, like on the when you finished, but it's been interesting the amount of people since, and I'm sure you're the same, that have said exactly what you're saying. I had to change the goal. And my response has been, well, you did the most sensible thing you could have ever done because I've seen it and you'll, I know you sadly saw it on the day, there were people that didn't finish it because for various reasons, but I know that some people don't because they don't change the goal and they keep pushing. And like you say, it was getting hotter and hotter. Um, You know, there's various factors there, but sometimes if you aren't the sensible person, like you say, you might not even get the seagull. So, you know, I know you're, you've kind of made peace with that, but yeah, I personally think that, you know, you made the right decision at the right time as well, yeah. not even on that cusp of, oh my God, I'm hating this. The, the side of the road was littered with people already right. already by this point walking. And this is, a, you need to remember I'm running at this point on 316 pace. This is people that are going out Experience. at a good pace. Yeah, I mean, you don't even, you're not even holding that pace to begin with if you've not got something you know. there. And already there's people starting to walk. And see, when I look at my splits, I'm saying I made that decision. 
the actual pace slowing down didn't happen until about 25k so see between 20 and 25 that's when i think i was probably still having the well i won't uh and that's interesting because everyone's different but i i think that like you say when you see speed well we're assuming experienced runners because as you say that we the it's highly unlikely they'd be at that kind of pace if they fast were. runners i would call them fast, fast runners yeah. um you know at the side of the road already it's in a race that when i see that i'm like right hold on am i what am i doing here am i okay and you just have to do that little checklist in your head yeah so that's you then so you've made peace with what you're going to do you're down at plan b because through so you've you kind of get to okay what that is but at 40 miles we're standing there we give you a wave cheer and then you head off to the point that nobody apparently likes in this man. Yeah, felt, felt really good passing you guys. And I'd say I spotted Nicola like from quite a bit back. So it was quite nice because I was able to see you guys interacting with other runners before you saw me. I think I saw you first and I was tucked in. And I felt strong running past you. I've seen the video since of me running past. I looked strong at that point. Um, I didn't look like somebody that had had to make their peace with pace dropping even though subconsciously I knew where I was. Then you you pass through that crowd because that was a really busy bit. That was the best bit of the course for support, that and the finish line I heard, but I don't really remember. But that bit of the course you were at was so loud. The charities were a wee bit further back and from there on, it was just madness, like so loud. I had, I had no music playing running past. I was just listening to everything. You get that wee pick-me-up, I sped up going through there again because you just do. In case you were taking pictures, I wanted the flying feet, you know, didn't it happen. Worked. No, I don't know, don't know, no, I don't think it happened the way I was hoping. I never spotted a photographer before they spotted me the whole day. Then you go to the out and back section, and that was where, that was by a country mile, the toughest part of the run. From what I've spoken to people since, for, for nearly everybody, you go out for, with the elites coming back, and you're running down. I think for about, is it four miles? Four miles down, four miles back. said four miles, yeah. I think it is. And you went round the, like, that country estate house, forget the name of it as well, into their grounds. So I'm running down, the elites are coming back. I spotted a couple of people I know. So um, Wizard Man, Wizard Run Man, I can't remember. Rolf, I know his name's Rolf, I can't remember his handle. He was flying back. Then I saw Mark Gallagher and I mm-hmm. gave Mark a shout. I was he was kind of past me before I think it registered who it was. And he looked and he, he looked like he was either really focused or hating his life. <laughs> but I'm hoping he just looked really focused because he was four and a half miles ahead of where I was. So he shouldn't <laughs> have been hating his life that much. But uh, that was nice passing them. I had to stop for the toilet on that stretch as well. And this is where probably the beginning of oofed, right? This is going to take more than just management because stopping even just for the 30 seconds to do the toilet and then starting again, I was like, oh my God, that felt dreadful, like so bad having to try and get back to the pace again. I felt like I was working harder and harder and that road's a wee bit undulating out there. I've heard that, yeah, it's not certainly not flat. Nope. And then you get to the bottom and it's a traffic cone and so literally a 180 turn. Oh. Oh my days. And then you go into this estate house and that's gravel. But see at that point, Alison, you could be running you could be running in the woods yourself. Like I don't even know if I'd people I don't think I saw anybody in there. Really? It was really quiet and it's quite odd, isn't it? Like for the scale sheer scale of the Edinburgh Marathon to get to a point where you and it kind of then up goes with what how people describe that. 
they were probably closer than I thought, but see, because there was nobody in the course at all at that point at the side, it felt desolate. It's like, bad. honestly, I felt, and, and everything at that point was hurting. That's when I started to home in on all the negatives, yeah. all the mind games. Your feet are sore. You're getting, you're starting to cramp a wee bit. And this is people working down with cramp left, right and centre at that point. I'd given somebody a salt tablet and they'd cramp in both calves. We're only at this point, probably 20 miles, 20 something and- miles. Do you feel so? I know you've spoken about in your own head, but when you you see others starting to struggle, do you think that then starts playing games in your head to like, oh no, right, that's someone down. Is it me next? Oh crap! Oh wait, I haven't felt that. Oh, do I feel something? Because these things yeah. come into your head. Is it watching really strong runners in front of you that I've been following and trying to hang on to their coattails, then suddenly stop in front of you? It's like oh, now now I'm here myself and I've got nobody in the next. 200 yards ahead of me will I go and try and catch the next group or will I stay and just run myself and all of the mind games came into play at that point we saw a couple of really unfortunate incidents people in medical tent were with medical assistance and some serious stuff as well and all of that no doubt started to play a part on for me this needs to go beyond management and I was really doing maths at this point thinking where can I get my rests at I was trying to take salt tablets so I'd had four in the day I could feel cramp coming in my calf a bit. I was struggling to get the tablets down at this point in the water stations. I had taken water from every station. I didn't miss one just because of how hot it was. And the the volunteers were super good at making sure you had something on you. If you weren't spotting them, they were shouting you over. But I stopped at one to take a salt tablet and take a gel. So I must have stopped looking at my splits. I think I must have stopped for the best part of 40, 50 seconds. I knew I had the time. Mm -hmm. But I also went, right, go. And my legs didn't go. And they went, go. And my legs didn't go again. I'm like, you need to start running now. You need to work uh, now. And, and, and in hindsight, that was that was a poor decision. I should have kept going and just mm-hmm. kept trying to be consistent. So my pace started to spike and lag, spike and lag. And this was all in the last 10K when it was really hurting the most. And I think it's important as well to, to highlight, though, at this point, the sun had really come out. I mean, I know it was roasting. Yeah, it, by that point, it wasn't just like there was a few clouds. Like this point, it was like like blaring. So, I think definitely right decision. Stop at every state or to, to take water on. Yeah, maybe not to actually stop for fifty seconds, but hey, no. you, you learn. So I, I see that that was it. That was it. Kilometer thirty nine. That happened. So, so I mean, that was like a, that's a silly stop at that point. It's but. It's where I felt mentally, like, and it, that's at the point where I'm thinking, I might not finish this. That's when you start getting the dark thoughts. And it is, in hindsight, it's a great thing, isn't it? And everything in life, not just running. But you, at that point, felt you needed to. So to me, that was still the right thing to do. Because what if you hadn't, you know, yeah. would you have made it to then? So I think, yeah, it's great to look back and maybe for next time, you know, do you really need to stop? But then you did because that was just the, the conditions and how you were feeling. Jason caught up with me at that point when I just was taking the tablet or the gel and he shouted, come on. And I'm trying to say to him, just go. I'm like, I'm all, this is almost like, this is not me chucked it. I'm, I'm just trying to get a breather. And I did catch back up with him. And who's to say if I kept running, you don't hit the cramp and you can't, who knows? Hindsight's always mm-hmm. easy. But that last, that last 10K, I don't know what the temperature got to in real terms. It felt like running on the sun for me. Like, I'm not great with the heat anyway. Like, I'm not particularly good in the sun, but the whole training blocks right through the winter. And that's a big factor too. We said that, didn't we? 
And I think we'd always said you can't control uncontrollable. No. And I think that whole week you just saw you'd go into the weather forecast and it was going up and up and up. We've trained the whole way through winter for a spring marathon. We live in Scotland. There's not really much prep you can you can do to be ready, is there? We got we got lucky too because every other day around it was even hotter. I know. Like, well, so it was it was as relatively cool as any day that week. Mm. Um, but still, for running, like if I'd have been out in the long run, I would have cut it short. No yeah. doubt, I would not have kept going because I know I'd have been working harder than I should have been or whatever. So big learning curve in that last ten k. But I was really pleased with again the management of it, and at no point did I let the target out my head. I was mm. always measured enough to know that you can afford this but only this and then you need to go and it worked in the end up because i got the time of that beagle Uh yeah yeah so we saw you at 22 miles i'm not sure what that is in k and it was definitely a very different person running towards us than it was when we saw you at 14 so what was going through your head at that point Please don't speak to me. Don't look at me. <laughs> You'll need to tell me because from not far before that to the end, my memory of the race is really, really patchy. Um, particularly the closer to the end, there's just big blank spots as to what happened. I was, I felt out in my feet, and I think, I, I think I actually said to you in the way, "Bye, I'm fucked," <laughs> and you screamed <laughs> back at me, "No, you're not." <laughs> and you had a bottle. You had a bottle for me with the with one another one of the tab, uh, tabs in it but see at that point i had taken on so much water that i was struggling to take on anymore like and i knew i was dehydrated and i needed it but physically i was struggling to keep it down i was starting to feel a bit sick in my mouth a bit delirious i could feel myself not running straight anymore like i was starting to move across the road mm-hmm. involuntarily so i could tell things were happening all I can describe it at that point was it started to become a bit like an out-of-body experience where yeah I looked at my watch and I was still moving okay I was this felt to me like I was running at like seven minutes a kilometer mm-hmm. and in reality I was running at 505 you know it, but you were belting along in a pair of flip-flops faster than me <laughs> to try and get the bottle back off me which I was just going to ditch anyway and it was honestly like an out-of-body experience. And like, is she really sprinting faster than me in a pair of flip-flops, shouting and bawling at me? And I don't even know if I was taking the words in, but it was what I needed at that point was a mm-hmm. kick up the bum. And it, and it worked. It focused me. It focused me for what was coming next. And I got the exact same thing from Pete Alexander from my club at a point. And it was, it was encouragement, but it was strong encouragement. It was like, get your finger out. I've run with you. And you need people like that around you that know your capability, know your limitations, and can safely push you to that next bit. So I was really grateful for it, but not at the time. I just wanted you to, I wanted you to trip up, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I've got a question, would you have stopped and helped me? <laughs> Absolutely not. I would have thrown the bottle at you on the way by. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that when you threw the bottle back at me, you were aiming for my head. <laughs> I, pretty, pretty much, I'm, I'm fairly sure I would have. I just couldn't take any more in. It would have helped me to take more of that in. Mm-hmm. Couldn't just couldn't anymore i do i can relate to that and know exactly what you mean about the knowing you have to but the feeling sick because there's only so much and i think actually when it's a flavor for some weird reason if it's lucasaid and sis tablet it's almost harder to, to yeah. take for some reason but i guess i didn't want to ruin the, that part of the the story for you but when you'd asked me at the start about spectating that was actually a part i find quite difficult because Watching somebody that you know really well, that you've ran with, that you know what their goals are, watching somebody run towards you and say, I'm 
mm-hmm. basically I, I feel dizzy I'm, I'm not managing that was quite difficult because I'm like right come on you can you can but then like you say it's how fu- how much do I tell you yeah. keep going because are you really that dizzy that you might and mm-hmm. it's hard to watch and I think now I understand that from the spectator point of view that it's not just all standing clap 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 when you're watching like friends and people like you you really know quite well struggle you're like oh, okay this isn't the fun this isn't the fun part um, yeah. and even people I didn't know they're just like like say starting to wobble yeah. and, you know step and sit down and you're like come on and it's almost I think when you've been in that situation you know things are like their goals and dreams are all kind of fading away at that point so that that was quite yeah difficult. for every one person that ran past me on that last stretch from you guys to the finish I must have run past 20 walking mm-hmm. like it was it, it was just there was people walking along that bit where you were chatting away by the yeah. and just had almost like I've run my race it's not happening for whatever reason so I was never at that point but I was close to being out on my feet and that was such a fine balance act of I was never going to not finish unless unless I was physically carted out I was going to finish that that race but I it was autopilot is how I would describe it this is where the training I think came into its own because what got me through in the end was resilience stubbornness and training mm-hmm. it wasn't anything else there was no luck about it there was no there was some good decision making but that's because the miles were in the bank and you sort of retained that that ability and do you think and and it's maybe a hard question to answer because if the the conditions have been different do you feel like you hit a wall yeah yeah and I, th- I think it happened coming out of the park coming out of that country house but Mm-hmm. And then, so that if that was four miles down, it was then the probably the two and a half miles back to you. Um, mm-hmm. when you get back out onto the road, and actually, all the other runners were coming the other way again. So, I'm now the person that they're looking at, thinking, God, he's going well. And Elaine, Marathon Mum, and you know, they're running by and they're shouting. And, and I did, I clocked him, but I was not in a position to even, I think, acknowledge. They probably <laughs> saw, they probably saw a very different thing than I felt. Mm-hmm. And this is so funny and it makes so much sense now because she said to me, something about, did you look, were you really crying or were you hating it as much as you looked like you were when I passed you at mile 20? And I thought, but how did Elaine pass Ryan? <laughs> but that makes sense. That so way, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, by that point, I put music on. So I put music on in, the, in that gravelly part because it was so quiet and I needed mm-hmm. something to distract me from my thoughts and try and just focus on one foot in front of the other for a bit. Um, so I, I only clocked to shout relatively late, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, I could barely focus. Yeah. So that's you, you're coming in, you're in that final couple of K, I'm imagining, and I could hear it when we came to find you at the end, the, the screams and the cheers that's starting to pick up because you're nearing that finish line. So how did it feel in that final few K? Don't know. You don't know. I really don't know. Um, looking at my splits, I have obviously stopped for like 10, 15 seconds a couple of times because you can see the wee dips, mm-hmm. but very short ones. And like, I don't even really remember that bit either. And I've picked up, so I'm guessing people were shouting at me because I know Newton were up the road there at that bit as well. A um, couple of things that have come back to me since was Jason catching me and then me catching him again. And I thought actually this would have been about two kilometers to go. 
Um, okay. And I thought we were going to just end up running this in together. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's good because we were not having a cosy, cosy chat, but there was see just that sense of somebody beside you, that helps. Mm-hmm. Then we passed Newton and I think it was maybe Jenna McCallion mm-hmm. had shouted, cheer, cheering me on. And Jason's like, oh, they're shouting. And I had made a joke to him, uh, not in a ha-ha again. I was in such a dark place. I said, I'm a big fucking deal around here, right? And I, and see, at that point, he got carried away and started running faster. And I thought a sniper had taken him out. His hamstring went rock solid and he had to stop. Oh, no. And he stopped. And he'll tell you I left him behind and he'd be absolutely right. But I did look as if should I stop. And then I decided if I stop with you, I'm not going to go again. And I knew by that point I'd used up all the wriggle room for my time that I had. Mm-hmm. I had to get home in less than two five thirties to get there. Yeah. No, I, to be honest, and I know everyone views things differently, but I'm very much like every man for themselves in a yeah. marathon you've got to do. And he I'm sure he would say the same. Like he wouldn't have expected no, I, and only one of the Mitchell brothers can win, you know. What well, so yeah. only only one baldy ginger guy can cross the line first. It just wasn't his day. Try your best Jess you did. You tried. <laughs> <laughs> so you know i was going to ask about crossing the line and how it felt but you can't remember so that kind of ruins that part of the, the story no but i was reading mark gallagher's blog on the finish line and saw some pictures of it and you know it brought a flashback because i think i was actually g the crowd up in the last home straight as i was running through <laughs> but but i could not have told you that until i read him talking about doing the same thing i'm like oh i think i've just remembered doing that but I don't remember crossing the line, don't remember getting my medal. The first thing I know was being through, I, do you know, I didn't even know my time. Really? I really yeah. didn't. The first thing I remember was after the race was talking to Jerry Higgins from Canvas Lang, who I'd been at uni with, and he ran a sub three. He oh, ran really? super quick, 250 or something. To, he was so quick, so he's so good. And I was wittering, and I couldn't stop wittering on. I couldn't stop my mouth. I was like, Emily, from the last episode, you just your <laughs> mouth's going, and... And he actually, I sat down and he made me eat the bar that they give you mm-hmm. because I was delirious. That's what was. That's what had happened at that point. I was all over the place. I sat down. I'm saying I sat down. I think I fell down. Mm-hmm. He made me eat. He watched me drinking. He chatted with me. He probably was doing it out and making sure I was okay. I thought he was just being sociable. Mm-hmm. And then it took me about 10 minutes to get my wits about me, enough to stand up again. Mm-hmm. Then I made my way to the flag where I'd arranged to meet you. Except I'd gone to the wrong flag anyway, because I was absolutely, I'd gone to the charity's flag, didn't realise there was two sets of them. And I met John, John Runs from Instagram. So he came over, so chipper, chatting away. I'm like, why, why are you happy? I don't understand why you're so bouncy, you look so fresh. And we had a good chat and he listens to the podcast and we decided to get a picture. And I think I said to him, you need to take it in your phone. Um, I don't have mine. And he said, you're holding your phone. It was in my hand and I'm saying I don't have a phone and he said let me grab my medal and I said oh I've not got my medal and he looked at it and I was like you're wearing your medal somebody put it in my neck and I don't even remember so see that last bit I couldn't tell you mm-hmm. the only thing I've got to say is I saw it afterwards for the people coming in behind me and it was loud loud it was super supportive but none of it helped me inspired me the only thing I remember is talking to Jace and saying, I, I think we'd less than 200 metres to go, Alice, and I'm saying to him, where the fuck is the finish? <laughs> you still can't see it. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of tucked round the corner. Yeah, it was a quite a tight little turn, wasn't it? You wouldn't... Yeah, so I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, so my watch measured 
not far away from being bang on, but I'm like mm-hmm. going, I, I'm like, I should be able to see this. I should be in the home straight. I'm thinking 200 metres, I should be running a straight line to a finish. Then you get round the corner and see it. And obviously uh-huh. I've just gone for it. And what would, the time was 3.29.19. Okay. Uh, or 3.29.29. No, 3.29.19. Mm-hmm. So I got in quite comfortably, relatively to the 3.30 goal, but I lost a lot of time in that yeah. last 10k. Uh, and with better management, maybe a bit more resilience and know-how, I could have probably taken another two or three minutes, I think. But I I mean, it's an absolutely amazing time. It really is. Um, and like you say, it was it, it was under the, the, goal, the B goal. Um, and yeah, hindsight's a great thing. You could maybe have not stopped so much. You could maybe done this or that. But you could have also kept pushing and ended up not finishing. And I think you made all the right decisions. Um, I mean, unfortunately, you couldn't remember the finish. But, you know, I, I can tell you from all the marathons I've done, I don't really think that I've ever heard a finish like that. Um, it's very hard in marathons to, for crowds to be on the finish line, but I thought it was really good at Edinburgh where you, people were right there, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, sl- slapping the barriers and mm-hmm. cheering and there was music and it was so, it was so, so loud. I just remembered something. <laughs> What? Remember when we were <laughs> we're kind of jumping a bit when we met you, but when we were coming out, remember you were like, "How how do people still have energy to play games?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And you were like, "There," and I was like, "That's the finish." That's I right. so I yeah I thought that was like some kind of like family area and people were playing games and like it was so noisy. I probably wasn't completely with the village no, at that point either. And I'm saying to you, how's then to get the energy to take part in that? And you're like, that's the finish. I was like, oh, fuck, I don't even recognise it. That's why. That's oh. genuinely why. I had no recollection of running through there at that point. Oh. So, yeah, we, we found you on the grass. Unfortunately, <laughs> it took a while to get there. Um, oh, I was then... delighted it took you so long because I needed just a wee bit of alone time. Uh, yeah, uh, you, you could tell you beans <laughs> had a little bit of time out, which, like you say, is probably needed just to reflect and take everything in because it was a nice little atmosphere wasn't it there was stalls and that was lovely families it was yeah. nice um, and then you got to meet some of your fans which was also awesome. uh, very good <laughs> so a, a few people spoke to me already in the charities bit that it either recognized me or was with somebody who listens or to the podcast so i met quite a few people and i was chatting away i had no idea how much time had passed between me finishing and you guys mm-hmm. showing up because i had to go to the bag drop which couldn't have been further away by the way from where i was sitting so i had to walk there and i was nearly crying i remember saying to somebody <laughs> just in my tired state i was like why are you enjoying yourself and the guy just looked at me they said, why are you smiling? Why is MD enjoying herself through there? I was still lying at the charities bit. It turns out he'd only run the, the, the not only, sorry, it turns out he'd run the really <laughs> just one leg off. So he was loving his life. Yeah. And I was in pieces. I'm like, stop smiling. Stop being so cheery. Stop oh, being yeah, so happy. Stop enjoying this. Uh, so MD did speak to me. I apologise. I wasn't my usual <laughs> charming with himself. Really. No. But by the time you guys came, I, I don't know even how much time passed. I just sat there staring at the world eating. You were actually, like, everyone else was, like, interacting. You were genuinely, like, in your own little world. And I was like, yeah. well, okay. I was happy in there, actually. I genuinely, I was happy for the headspace for 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Just I feel to, like it probably left you a bit longer, to be yeah. honest. Just, <laughs> just, to, just to process what had just happened. Mm-hmm. And it, it was it was good. It was it let me just settle my thoughts. Mm-hmm. So we then make you walk a K back to the car. 
um, give you a little bit of time while we go and get some food and then drop you off at home. So what happened next? I mean, one of the questions that everyone wants to know is what did you eat and drink? Yeah. <laughs> so we met, we actually met a guy that I played football with for 10 years on the way home and he, mm-hmm. he, he did the whole classic. I didn't train for it and he didn't train for it. And I think he ran, I can't remember what he said. Was it five hours or something? Uh-huh. Right. So, and he looked broken by the time I saw him so I felt better about my life instantly after I saw him because I couldn't that just shows you to anybody out there thinking about the time of those marathons that guy worked just as hard or more so than I did for five and a half hours you know the achievement he was wearing the same medal he had the same sense of achievement at the end the time is a piece of the day but it's not the day it's not the whole day if you hit your goal Bravo, well done, but it's not the, the, the beyond end all. When I got home, I, I wasn't hungry. don't know, couldn't eat, wasn't ready to eat. I was drinking, I was nibbling away at stuff. But then come about, I don't even know what time we got home, Alison, but see about seven o'clock, I think. Seven o'clock, eight o'clock. Then I decided, I thought it was going to be a burger that I wanted, but it wasn't, it was Chinese I had. I had chicken balls, chips, fried rice, curry sauce, prawn crackers. I had a big plate of beige food that was piled like this high. So to any vegetarians out there, it's time to be sick in your mouth. But I was like a caged animal by the time I arrived eating it. And I had had Coke with it. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's it, isn't it? You do, like you say, you're kind of like nibbling on things because it's a funny feeling that your body's almost got to catch up with what happens. So you you hear a lot of people say, I'm just not hungry, but you know you have to eat something. I felt sick. mm -hmm. I felt sick from the gels. Just well, so, yeah. I, I'd taken extra gels, but on the nutrition of the run. So uh, I'd taken two more gels than I planned, along with all that water more than I planned. So my stomach was like, felt bloated, um, mm-hmm. even though I was dehydrated to hell. <laughs> it's, so, yeah. so it took me, it did, it took me an hour of lying about to go, right, I'm ready to eat. But when it came, honestly, it was like something off the Discovery Channel watching me finish <laughs> my dinner. Well, I'm, I'm glad you've answered that question because everyone wants to know. So you go to bed, uh, did you manage to sleep? Because I know sometimes like the legs are still twitching and obviously you're like, so you're bloated, tired, but not tired. I was out like a baby about okay. half nine until two in the morning. Then mm. I pulled cramp in both legs at the same time. And uh, it was horrific. I was bolt upright in the bed. But when I tried to pull my toes back to like stretch off the cramp, I got cramp in my quad. So I'd cramp in my quad and my hamstring at the same time. So every time I did something to <laughs> make the other bit better, it made the other one worse. So that was me. I was like a broken man after 10 minutes trying to deal with that. And I had a really broken sleep the rest of the night. I just was still coming down off the uh, the high of it, the challenge of it. The, my head was still whirring. Aye, it, mm-hmm. wasn't, it wasn't a great sleep. I was shattered the next day. Yeah. And then you go to the next day and possibly the day after. And how how was it for you? Because we obviously saw Instagram and people that, you, like you say, you're on that high and then it's all over and you've got all the emotions. Just going to be brutally honest with this because I think that's why people listen is not in hope that you'll be authentic. I had 270 messages plus on the day mm-hmm. finished I'm, and 268 of them were just well done so positive like building you up building you up the first one i opened and i can't remember who it was from and you might be listening and it might have been you and i know this is not how it was intended but the first one said something along the lines of and i'm paraphrasing oh that's a shame you didn't get your goal 
So that was the first message I think oh. that I'd seen. But that's not all it said. It said, oh, sh- sorry, didn't get your goal, but that's still a great time type thing. And even at that point, though, that I mean, I could feel my heckles right away. Like, what? Like, just... And I know it wouldn't have been, I know where that, don't say that but, but I know where the intention of that message comes from. It comes from somebody mm-hmm. saying, you have had a brilliant day, don't get your head down. Where where my head was already, though, was from the minute I crossed the line, there was no regret whatsoever. I wasn't, oh, I wish, or because I know that no matter what I did that day, I, no matter what I did on that day, I was not going to get that ego. And it was always, to me, an ego should always be a big, scary one. Like, what's the best you can do? Mm-hmm. That's your ego. What's the best you can do if it all goes right in the day? Yeah, you don't train for 16 weeks to not really have no. a very like high ego. And you were worried I was going to do that. And I was for a while until I saw the progress I was making. And but So that was mm-hmm. the first message I opened. And then and it stuck with me. I'm like, why would, why would you mm-hmm. think? And it just, I think there's a, there's a lesson in that for spectators, for friends, for people that are dealing because... So many people finished that run disappointed that I spoke to mm-hmm. because I've had the same experience. Good. Yeah. So see, when you're dealing with somebody that's just coming off that disappointment, sometimes you you don't need to find the words to console her and else. You just need to be listening or whatever or say, well done on giving it your, your sort of best. And it's not to Molly Coddle, but I was buzzing off my time. So to see yeah. somebody saying, Sorry, you didn't get your goal. I'm like, I am. I've just run a sub three thirty on my first marathon. Who's? I'm not sorry. I'm delighted. It's some. It's funny you say that. I'm always very conscious on how I congratulate people because I've had exactly what you just had, and it is you're absolutely buzzing. And then someone will say, "Oh, but you know, you're all right." Oh, well, what was next time? Yeah. I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 hold on here because. I am I'm, like I'm on cloud nine and yeah. you know it is so and I know there was other people that really struggled like you said had to adjust their goals maybe didn't quite go as planned some people it was their first one um but I thought Nikki put it really well I can't remember if it was on a story or a post but as she said everyone got the same medal everyone ran the same race you know might have all been in different times but you ran a marathon it's amazing and that's i think yeah that's nikki nikki mara runs she's changed her name now in case it was nikki (laughs) she's now nikki mara runs we noticed nikki um so she won't mind me speaking about that either nikki was gutted with what happened on the day because i mean i saw the mileage and so did you that that she put in she worked her socks off and on the day on the day for her she knows now nutrition was where that race was won and lost for her in the day. But see, when the dust settles, she's got a marathon medal. It took her 24 hours. Now, your job is not to mollycoddle people either. See, if we're putting ourselves out there on social media with a picture of your medal, people are going to comment. So you need to be understanding that. I was not angry at getting the message whatsoever. It was just because it was the first one I opened. I was like, what? Um, But I had so much support. And to go back, to circle back to the point, I was so overwhelmed by that support, 270 odd messages. I think I did manage to get back to practically everything over that time. I couldn't feel more lucky. That's what this community has done for me. That's that's the reason partly why my goal was so big, scary and ambitious. I had the confidence and the psychological safety that all these people have got my back. They're not looking for me to fail. I wasn't worried about not getting my target. I was delighted to share with them that I got my B target because that was what I got in the day. So. I want to just say thank you to literally everybody. I think over the course of the week, 
must have honestly had about five, six, seven hundred different messages, people wishing you luck, commenting, asking you questions. That engagement has just been super for the podcast. It's unbelievable the amount of people that spoke to me about it. I'm so, so grateful for everything you've done to support me and thank you. And I'll hopefully be able to reciprocate that on your races. Brilliant. You've just stolen another question. <laughs> Sorry. What was, the, what was the question? For anyone you'd like to thank. <laughs> Once you start getting into name territory on that, you're always conscious of missing missing people. So it would be, I would generalise it. I would start by saying Nicola, first and foremost, because the time that goes into training for a marathon can't be underestimated. And see when you're running your first one, it is underestimated. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the the three hours you're out long running, it's the two hours after it, you need your feet up. It's the early morning to eat before it and you're a man down, you're a man down for half the day. So for that, for 16 weeks for Nicola, maybe she was happy to get rid of me, I don't know, but her support I was... I didn't in- want to say what we spoke about in the uh, Probably, it wouldn't shock me. Her, but her support was incredible. To my running mates from the Newton Road Runners, that changed my experience of long distance running, running with them. Um, that ch- that's actually changed my my trajectory in running probably. It's, it's sped me up. It's made me energised. It's They've been everything that you could ever hope for from a running club. It's not a running club like all the rest of them. To me, it's a lot more social and it's a lot more everybody's at each other's back. I think you felt a wee bit of that sort of secondhand uh-huh. support. To you, to Kirsten, to my close sort of running friends as well that just listen to the moans and the doubts and the all of that. But I'm not going to get more specific than that, but to say to everybody who's been any part of it, see meeting you up at Park, meeting with you at Park Run, listening to this, and everything's played a part to getting me to the start of a marathon line. I don't think I would have got there. I don't think I would ever have pushed myself without all of the stars aligning. So if anybody's been involved in just being back and forth to talk to me about running, you've played a part. So I'm thankful to all of them. And it is, I think it's so important, like you say, it's everybody. I feel like my running's changed a bit as well since you know, the podcast and going to the park runs and just like the, the community we've got, because it does, you feel like you're doing it for you, but you know that people have your back. And yeah. it's interesting when you were saying that, like, you know, you set your goals for you, but you know that no matter how it, how it goes, you know, everyone understands, like everyone's been yeah. there. And I just like, I, I'm so proud of you. I've told you that so many times. I'm not going to yeah. say it again because you'll get a big head, but <laughs> I uh, just watching you and growing in confidence and some of the other guys as well like I said the same to Nikki she's not the same person that I met at the beginning yeah. you're not like joining running clubs seeing your times improve at the short stuff at the park runs you know it, it's been an amazing journey to watch and I just think like for your first one sub 330 absolutely amazing yeah but it's, um, that, but it's the tip of the iceberg sub 330 so I've got a sub 330 marathon if you got that alone your day has been special mm-hmm. but I've got a sub 330 and I've got a PB at every distance on the way up during the training block and I've got the best fitness I've ever had in my life and I've lost two stone and I feel happier and healthier and I've got more friends in that running community so see it, is, it feels like the tip of the iceberg and that's why to open the first message I think to go back to that one to to even think there could be any negative to it certainly not for me and i know everybody finishes with a different feeling but if you put the training in and open your world up there will always be another marathon anyway i'll be i'll be 329 at some point if i choose to do more i'll I'll also do worse than that 
at some point, if I choose to do enough more, I'll have a worse day than that. There will be higher, there will be lower, but none of that changes all the, the achievements. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's the, the actual marathon journey. Um, kind of, we've covered all of that. So I know, I well, we know, because you saw the questions too, we're absolutely inundated with um, people wanting to know that lots of very random. I didn't read them all. I just sent you them. Yeah, sent you them. So... Shall we move on to, to some questions? This is a bit I'm fearful of. I'm hoping that you have used your judicious nature to make sure none of Jason's questions get in. Right, let's go. <laughs> so I think there's actually been a few things, as I thought there would, that you we covered when we were just chatting there. Yeah. I did have Elaine's question about why you looked so gobbed at mile 20. That was more because I was confused, but you've cleared that one up now. You were passing each other the different ways. I guess one thing that I never asked because I think I know the answer to, but it's probably something a lot of people, especially those that haven't run a marathon, would want to know is, did you ever feel at any point like giving up? Yeah. Like, but I didn't feel at any point that it was ever going to happen. Yeah. But I, bloody felt, that, uh -huh. I felt like it loads. Um, <laughs> in the last 10k, I would have, if I thought I could have got away, out. all those dark thoughts come, if I could get out of this while saving face, and nobody ever found out about it, I would shake your hand and do it. But that's because you're in a world of hurt at that point, if you're pushing, if that's your experience of the marathon and you're on your limit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so loads, of, but I, it was never, never actually it never got to the point where I thought I might not finish this run. I was, and the only point where I thought I'm in danger here was when I felt myself straying across the road by accident and I saw a marshal starting to walk towards me at a point. I had to shake myself to, I was starting to do the, the Johnny Brownlee thing where you're running and you're like, to, uh -huh. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. And that happened. And that was the only point where I thought if, if somebody catches me at that, they're going to stop me from own good here. And and you see it all the time and it is, that's one of the worries, isn't it? And again, why you have to change the goal. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, did you learn anything that nobody did tell you about before? Well, probably no, everybody told me about the toughness of it. Like, mm. so that's not, it wasn't, but see until you've lived it. Yeah. That last 10K. So even if you're taking your training up to 22 miles in your long run, you've still got four miles that are not tapped into. And I heard a lot, the last four will take care of themselves. You'll get that in adrenaline. Fucking no chance. Yeah. You get that on resilience. You get that on hanging in maybe on another day with different weather you would get that a bit easier than i had it but that bit was as tough as any race i've ever done I, the only thing i could compare it to would be the half ironman they've run up and down ben nevis at the end of a particularly hard half ironman was horrific and that was put me back there where well i could not finish here like i knew i was going there but i could uh -huh, not finish but... um so that that would be the only thing i've probably learned that nobody told me because i'd spoke mm -hmm. to so many people about marathons that i had so much good advice it, it's so true what you say because i do remember you saying to me at the end and i don't know if you remember but you're like i get it now like now i know how hard it is and it's you cannot explain to somebody that hasn't done one how it actually feels like the emotions, the feelings, physical, mental, can you? Now you know. Every walk of life, Alison, like you do the job, whatever job you do. I'm a teacher. You, you'd say it to people all the time, come in and take a class and see how you feel about, <laughs> like, if they think teachers are this, that, or the next thing. And see until you've done it yourself, you've not, you, you, you just can't. 
articulate sometimes because it's a feeling it's not a description it's an absolute mm-hmm. internal so that that would be the takeaway. no you're, you're totally spot on there so these are two quite personal questions that a, a lot of people wanted to know <laughs> did you cry no that's jason and his stupidity <laughs> he said they found me crying at the water station listen i was so dehydrated that even if they'd been crying i don't think i would have had tears um <laughs> No, I didn't cry not coming over the line or anything. I I didn't have that kind of emotion. The toughness was the overriding emotion. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was more pride in the resilience. I was really pleased for how stubborn I am. I wasn't, mm-hmm. like, emotional. I can't believe I've done it. I knew I was going to do it. I never I never thought I wasn't going to do it. So it wasn't like, oh, my God, I've, I've finished a marathon. Uh-huh. It was, thank, i finished a marathon. <laughs> That's where I was. <laughs> and, you know, that makes, that makes total sense. And the next one, which oh, I, I hope I know the answer to, because you got in my car after. Did you shit yourself? <laughs> nope. Bill's Bill's behaved themselves start to finish. I did have a bit of a sore belly, but that was afterwards after the race. Um, everything went really smoothly with fueling in the morning. Um, I stayed very relaxed at the start, chatting as I said. So I never had that nervous bit of oh, I need to go to the toilet. I need to go to the toilet. I wasn't running back and forward. And on the course, no, I had to. I had to stop and pee, um, but that yeah. was that. My stomach felt very full at a point, and I actually see the flip belt. That mm-hmm. I, like I'm loving running in a flip belt. That's been I introduced that quite late in my training block. The more swollen my stomach was feeling from the water, the more I felt that was pressing on me. That's quite a new experience. So I felt like that was making me think about peeing more than anything uh-huh. else. Um, you know, I know because we did quickly speak about the flip belts after, didn't we? And I and I love them. I've used them for years, but it is it's no, it, great back up. <laughs> start uh, pushing on the, the bladder yeah. a little bit but well I'm glad that that was the answer glad you cleared that up <laughs> you've been walking home <laughs> didn't shit myself a shot in your car just in, in the footwell sorry about that have you not checked <laughs> that's why I got it in Valley <laughs> Bl- blamed it in Rufus yeah got a really interesting one here and I was like well this is a good question I've never heard this asked or answered from a running perspective who would be your dream dinner party guest from a running world? Running world? Absolutely. I'd rather eat myself than sit and have dinner with runners. I'm going to talk about running. From a running world, you'd, got, you'd need to take Usain Bolt. He's as cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. Some, some jerk chicken. <laughs> or, or did he not say only it's McDonald's chicken nuggets? Probably. We could have a McDonald's chicken He's nuggets. Like a terrible uh, advert for an athlete, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's the thing about runners, though, and running, like, generally. I'm not, I wouldn't be sitting glued to athletics at any point. It's not something I find particularly great to watch the elite level. It's not, it feels a million miles away from what we do, or what I do, certainly. Maybe not a million from you. You start with them, you're friends with Kipchoge now. Um, wow. But... So, no, I'd rather eat myself than eat with runners because they're boring. We're all boring. Yeah, we just don't think we are because no. <laughs> we, we just talk about running all the time. I would take you so that I could just listen. You could talk to whoever you wanted. Yeah, okay, that's, <laughs> that sounds like a fair compromise. How did you feel having people you actually knew on the course rather than just random cheaters? Did you feel that made a difference? That was amazing. Um, that is that's quite difficult to distinguish sometimes if they're in the busy, crowded bits. There's people just reading your name on your number and shouting, "Come on, Ryan!" Mm-hmm. And you're like, "I could tell from the accents. I'm like, you're too posh to know me, so you can't know me. You're just <laughs> reading my name." Um, but you can really tell when somebody knows it's you because it's a 
whole ah. different ah, exactly screaming going mental um <laughs> like elaine yeah and, and but that support on the way around and even just encouraging word is brilliant i missed is it candace um mm-hmm. i was running beside her for about two or three minutes and i thought it was her and i didn't know if it was her and i bottled it to say hello and i was knackered and afterwards when i'd seen her pictures like that was definitely her i should have okay. um, but see seeing people on the way around it's it's a good marker. I had Corey from my club just in front of me for a good bit, just behind me for a bit. He was a good marker. Seeing mm-hmm. knowing somebody to watch for, that was handy because I knew I knew how what his pace is and if I can see him, I'm okay. So that was it was nice. And this this support at the side was was mad as well. But I knew so many people just through this, through all of this. It's mad. It's so good. It was nice, wasn't it? Like I think because the half marathon, like you said, started at eight o'clock and that allowed everyone to get that done. And then you had like your Newton teammates that all stood at one point. And then I know there were some other people and it just sounded like at that kind of mile 10, I think they were. It was a really nice atmosphere as yeah. well. Um, and it was nice that they could be a part of your and everyone else's day as well. Hello, uh, Pete had a bottle for me as well. And I was looking for the black and yellow and I nearly ran past them. They were all in their bloody blue t-shirts because oh, yeah, they'd run the half marathon. And I think they were half cut with their pints as well. So <laughs> I, he was right at the end of the, the line of them before I'd even clocked who it was. Yeah. Thankfully, they saw me and they were shouting. So, uh, but uh, the, the mad support from them, such a big group of them through. No, it's brilliant. It was because I got to see achievements of so many people and I knew what they were aiming for too and everybody finished everybody I know finished nobody DNF except Bob Bob DNF but do you know what he was taking he was getting into that knowing that that was a possibility so I know that he's not kicking himself beating himself up but I managed to get a chat with him at the start as well even that was nice seeing him yeah no I know I've spoken to him a wee bit as well and um, that was actually his question funny you should ask is uh, mention him um because we were laughing he said for somebody really that wasn't that social, um, he found the personal support a huge thing as well on the course. Um, yeah, and he, I was like, wow, he only... He made me laugh so much. Made it, he made me laugh so much before it when he said his wife had said to him, see this running thing, like this big crowd of people, you know, you're the most antisocial person I know. How come you've got all these running friends? It's like, he says, see in real life, I don't even like people. I'm like, you're me. He's my spirit animal. And Nicola would say the same. So like, <laughs> well, you, yeah, basically... You know thousands of people on Instagram to do with running now, yet like you don't even like your own pals sometimes and they don't like you. I'm like, well, that's just how it works. He doesn't even just know people on Instagram. He runs about five running groups as well, doesn't he? I know. So he's taken it to the extreme. Yep. So I know we're kind of, um, we've kind of getting tight on time. So one question that a lot of people asked and I'm interested in is, I know what's next in terms of what you've got on. You've got your ultra and you've got your um, walk now 24 relay. But I think a lot of people wanted to know what's next in terms of marathons. And I've said that you, you, nobody has to decide straight away. But uh, what, where are your, your head at just now in terms of what's next there? Yeah, so so what's next is the Devil of the Highlands. So I've got an ultra, which is 42 miles of the West Highland Way um, from Tindrum to Fort William, I think. So it's got about six and a half thousand feet of elevation. If anything, the marathon scared the bejesus out of me about the ultra because how tough that distance was, knowing what I've got to do additional. So what I really need to do, I'm resting, recovering. I'm running on feel right now, just taking it easy. But I've got a date in my head for starting my plan properly for that. And I need to 
demystify that by getting some long runs done on trails, slowing down, doing all the things that will make me see that as a manageable task. Because I was like this with the marathon at the beginning too. Um, I've got the Loch Ness 24. It's a relay structure. I have no pressure on that event. That'll be great. It's good people I'm going with. Beyond that, no marathon plans at all. I am going to enter all the ballots for all the majors. And if one of them lands my way, that'll be next. Yeah. And if it doesn't, I will reassess next year, but I don't feel a hurry. I don't feel drawn to signing up to go again yet. Um, and I'm not even sure I would go again at spring from next year. I don't know. I, I'm not saying never because my plan over the winter will be to really get the speed work done. And you and I are going to do a bit of tourism and park run and get about and just see some different running places. Um, so no, no, no plans, not jumping in. Haven't got my eye on anything, but the majors would be a different beast if I ever get the chance to run any of them, I will. I think that's the most sensible way to be because I know a couple of people already who signed up to their next one because you get that high, don't you? Um, but personally, I think your approach is the best where you're not going to rush into something. You've already got loads of things on anyway, so you're not certainly not going to have the blues because you're, as you say, you're right into ultras and relays and park runs and things. So I'm sure you'll uh, you'll you'll find something. I think that's important as well, isn't it? Finding what's right for you. So when you finished, you'd said, "Oh, I don't think um, you know hot ones like warm ones are for me. I, I should probably find somewhere in a cool country." Now I know you were joking, but it, there are all those things to take into account. Yeah. So do you want to train in the winter again? Do you maybe want to train in the summer and do an autumn one, or you know, end up in winter? Do you want to go to Antarctic? Who knows? I might, like, I might hit these hills, Alice. I might hit these hills and trails and and fall in love with that side of running. And you know, so I prefer if I, to eat a lot of cake. But, but um... exactly. So what's not to like? But if I start signing up for another, if I sign up for even an autumn marathon and put myself under that pressure, I'm going to limit the training I can do in that side. So. I can't. I don't want running becoming pressure. It's a hobby. Mm-hmm. It's. It'll be the right. The right thing will come at the right time. It always has before. No, absolutely agree. And that's the thing, isn't it? Why do we all do this? It's meant to be fun. Yeah. Oh, well, there were so many questions, so I think we should thank everybody for your input. Um, but I think we'll kind of bring it to a close there because I have my own little list of quick fire questions. Here we go. Oh come on! I couldn't not do this. <laughs> Is it math? Is it more quickfire questions? With a twist. Okay, right. Let's go. Hit me. Right, so it's a little marathon focused, okay? Okay. So, a couple we have to ask that you always ask. So, best running related book or podcast that got you through this training block? So, that got me through the training block wasn't like a, a, I only listened to point nine to nine and what the fart like, and I enjoyed both of them and I took them in a lot of long runs. But what gets me through it personally, my go to is a, a podcast called The Throwback Podcast. And it's two American guys who listen to old albums from when they were young. And it's quite Brit-centric, though, like Oasis albums. And they talk about their lives. They're very funny. Uh, and they listen to a full album and talk about the songs and what was going on in their life. And they're just, they're, the humour's right up my street. So the throwback podcast is always my go-to. There are so many back catalogue episodes. If you find an album you like and go for it, it's so fun. You can put the link on um, and share that with everyone. Oh, check out the pro here. <laughs> Hey, I've been paying attention. Park run or marathon? Park run. What hurt more, being passed by me running in flip-flops at mile 22 or your nipples after? Emotionally being passed by you in flip-flops. 
If you could run any marathon in the world, which one would it be? New York. What one bit of advice would you give having now run a marathon? Take it seriously. It, it's not for joking about. I saw so many people littered at the side of the road. Um, and there is no bigger test or no bigger proof of you get out what you put in. So if you cut and run short, if you're, it's fine to say you're listening to your body, but if you're not, you need to not listen to your head. You need to listen to your plan. No, I, I 100%. Playlist song? Bleed it out, Linkin Park. <laughs> and finally, I Presley and Ron? Because I've only started scratching the surface of what you might be capable of. Oh, good. Did you know I was going to ask that? <laughs> no, I didn't. And I was asked on the Point 99 podcast and I gave a different answer and I would probably give a different answer tomorrow and the next day because I don't always run for the same reasons. Sometimes I run because I'm fat. Sometimes I run because I'm lazy, feeling lazy. Sometimes I run because I'm buzzing. I don't know. It just depends. Um, see, can I add something? Mark Gallagher asked a question that on, and I just spoke about the plan and I wanted to touch on this because I spoke to people yes, uh-huh. as well. So Mark had asked me, did I think my plan was right for me? And because he had run a previous plan that he didn't feel was right for him, he's written his own plan this time and got his sub three. Congratulations. Did amazing. Absolutely amazing. Answer for me to that one, because I've been asked about my plan so many times and about Cooper. So we have a, a code through the podcast. If you listen, press play is the code on Cooper to get you a month free. And I'm not affiliated. and I'm not a, an ambassador or anything like it. It was just what we managed to get with Pete when we had him on the show. That plan for me was perfect and it was perfect because it took out all the thinking of the planning and I've said that before. I didn't need help with motivation. So I didn't want a coach, I didn't want a full-time person to be accountable to it. I've got my running club, I've got my friends, I've got myself to be accountable to it. It structured my sessions for me. Mark's in a different position where he's such an experienced runner now. And I know not a marathon runner, but he's been steeped in the world for a lot longer than I have where he's got the ability to put together a good solid plan for himself. I don't have the knowledge. So that plan was the perfect one for me with a coach on standby via Cooper if I wanted it. And um, I've heard a lot of people speak highly of the, the coaching app as well. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, if, yeah. It's, if it's runner, if it's Cooper, but the answer to that for me is this was the perfect plan for this time round and I would use it again in a heartbeat because I've got enough knowledgeable people around me to say, you're not, you could be going faster than that. And I had this the whole way through, up your paces, up your, so I did that up my time and up my time. And the only thing I would have changed about it is I was making so much progress through that I kept up in my time a wee bit, my projected time. So I was spending less time at marathon pace in my runs because my marathon pace kept going up. Hi, uh-huh. So some of my long running was at a slower marathon pace because at the time it was right for my target. Um, But you can't change that's hindsight because mm-hmm progress leads to so the next time around it would be higher uh so i hope that's a long-winded way of saying the plan worked perfectly for me and those apps have a place for runners at a level and i'm at that level i think it's a brilliant um app as well isn't it because as you said it's not just an app you do have real life coaches yeah, a form, former olympian and, a, and another elite runner it's two high high level coaches that are there to tailor and tinker and you can ask and they'll adapt it if you so choose to take that up i didn't need it i had enough people around me that i trusted and was confident in 
but yeah, no, that that was a good question. Then um, I did see markets coming with that yeah. because it's um it is important. I think so. A lot of people will ask about plans, and I do think as well. What I always remembered you saying about the app, which I thought was brilliant, is that it it's made to work for you, isn't it? So I remember you saying to me, "I don't want to run on a Sunday," so I just put that's not the day I want to run. Yeah. I want to run. And, and, you know, so people's lives are different, aren't they? So some people may only be able to run three days a week. Some yeah. might want to do six and it allows you to do that. And I think that flexibility is good as well. And I know you yeah. found that um, really yeah. useful. I've, been, I've just been asked so many times about it. And I've also been asked by people now considering, should they go for it? The answer mm -hmm. is yes. If you've got the capability to run a marathon and you've built up, I wouldn't say go for it from 5K. Like you build, build as a process to it get to 10, get to your half marathon, get comfortable and confident there. But you can do it. You, you can do it, but you need to commit to the, just, you need to get out and do it. It won't run itself. None of it runs itself. You need to put the work in. But there's only one way to do it, and it's to sign up and take the plunge. And I think that's probably a good way to end this because I think you've hit the nail on the head. You've mentioned it a few times. Marathons, aren't something you can just turn up and do on the day you have to fully commit you've got to give it everything and that does mean like sacrifices at home not spending time with loved ones you know we've always been quite open and honest about that that runners do have to be quite selfish especially in junior marathon training but I think if it's any consolation I think it's completely paid off for you I mean what you've achieved on your first marathon is absolutely amazing and I do I think I probably speak for every single person that follows you on Instagram has listened to your podcast but we're all proud of you and can't wait to see what you achieve next thank you so much and I appreciate you stepping into the breach I've handled this like a consummate pro like I knew you would um it's uh your the relationship with you and the, the ease and comfort that we can speak about this is as the way I wanted to handle it and it's paid paid dividends so so much exciting stuff coming up and it'll all come through in the wash in, in good time but final but final word from me to finish off today is just again reiterate the thank you to everybody keep rallying around each other keep that community that we are developing all the time positive get yourself to the men's 10k for the meet for the meetup it's going to be a brilliant day as well if you're on the periphery and feel like you're out on the outside looking in because we are using names of people that are now part of that community that this is not a clique in any way people will come go as and when their life allows it reach out chat to us you will find everybody will welcome you with open arms so thanks again Alison for today and thank you to everybody that's listened Thank you to you, the listeners, for joining us for another episode of the Press Play and Run podcast. You can really help to support the podcast by subscribing or following on your podcast platform of choice and by leaving a review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Press Play and Run podcast and to add the Press Play and Run playlist on Spotify. We'll be back every two weeks with new episodes and please be sure to keep an eye on our Instagram page to find out which guests will be joining us. Until then, keep getting the trainers on. Press play and run.